When you opened your eyes, did you think I performed a magic trick? I wasn't there when you closed your eyes, and then I was there. It's a little side hobby that I've been working on lately. Um, I know that a lot of you, uh, when you, when you heard Gabe begin to pray, you thought, short message tonight, we're out early, and then he started praying for me, and you're like, ah, oh, man. Uh, well, at least that's the way it was this morning. At least two people fell asleep while I was teaching, so just, just strap on, strap on tonight. You're going to have to get a little excited. If you need to stand up and do some calisthenics in the middle, I'm okay with that. If you need to interact, if you need to laugh more at my jokes tonight, I, I'll, I'll be okay with that. Just, just this one time, okay? So just maybe get, get a little bit excited. Um, here's the thing. When Gabe shares those uh, details of the trips that he went on, and he, he talks about the partners that Mosaic is interacting with, that gets me excited. Because even though I didn't go, because I'm a part of Mosaic Church, because I'm a part of the we of Mosaic Church, I'm a part of that. We, as Mosaic, are supporting people that are bringing forth the gospel in other places, that are changing people's eternity. How cool is that? That's what we're a part of. I don't know about you. I can't do much on my own. I, I'm, I can't. I really can't. Um, when I teach a message from the stage, let's be honest. When you walk out the doors, mo- most of it just kind of, it's gone. But we together can do great and mighty things for the kingdom. That's what I love about the church, that we together can do a lot for the kingdom of God. Uh, the thing about that, though, is, is that is completely anti our human nature, By nature, we as humans like to divide and segregate and separate and categorize. It's kind of what we do. We do a lot of that. Um, You know, anything, really, any category there can be, we will divide and we will uh, separate and we will, you know, look down upon and we will look up at. You know, politically, we've got different, uh, you know, political parties. We've got the Republicans and we've got the Democrats. You know, racially, there's there's loads of races, you know, uh, we've got... uh, Socioeconomically, we've got the rich, we've got the poor, we've got the middle class. Any category there might be, we love to categorize people and to separate you know, us and, and them. And I think we do this for a number of reasons. One is just a very practical, helpful reason for us as humans. There are 7 billion people in this world, and we can't really get to know each and every person's entire story. So if we can categorize people, it'll be easier for us to understand who they are and, and kind of how to interact interact with them, right? You know, if we categorize someone, it'll be really helpful. I'm looking around the room. I see Mike Ben over there. He's from Australia. Good eye, Mike. I'm not. I know that just shocked you, that, that little Australian talk I did. But, but here's the thing. I know things about him because he's from Australia. When we were playing the Disney campus, uh, we were over at the clubhouse in Summerport, and there was a six-foot snake that I saw, and I knew the first person I needed to go to was Mike. Because he's Australian, and that's where the crocodile hunter is from, or was from. Uh, but, but, you know, that's, see, that's the thing, is you know something about that person that is helpful for you. Now, there's another side to us categorizing people, and that's because we deeply and desperately want to be valued. We want to have status, social status. We want people to look up to us. We want to have power. We want to have wealth. And we think that if we connect ourselves to a popular, powerful group or a popular, powerful person, then we will be associated with them and we will have elevated status. For example, 
Just recently, over the last couple years, you have seen less and less Florida gator flags flying around houses and, and stickers on cars because recently the Florida gators have not been very good at football. Now, I mean, no offense, it's not, it's not a judgment, it's just, you know, the, the, they've had a losing record. And so what happens is their, their stock has gone down. Since Tebow left, you know, the, the, the promised one, since he left the team, people have kind of gone into hiding. Fans have gone into hiding a little bit. Now, you have the tried and true, the, the proud, the excited, and that's great. But what we have seen is an increase in flags of the Florida State Seminoles, Right? The Fairweather fans have come out of hiding because they've been very good recently. And that's kind of the way that we do it because now we jump on their bandwagon because they are elevated and then we have some sort of elevated status, which by the way with sports teams, that's, that's crazy. Okay, It's so arbitrary that I would choose to like a team. And, and even, even crazier that me liking a certain team would give me elevated status. Fans of those teams, no offense, but you don't do anything for your team, right? You, you don't help them succeed. You don't make them better. You don't make them win. You know, you may provide, maybe you donate to, to the cause. You, you donate to the school. You know, there, there's a little bit there. Perhaps you go to the games and you yell a little bit. And there's some, a little bit of energy there, but really compared to the, the whole, I mean, it's, it's not much. So it's strange that I would be like, my team won. We beat you guys, killed you, took you into the dirt which I don't think that's what you say, drove you into the dirt, right? And I don't know why, but we get really excited about that. When we are associated with a group that, is, that has some elevated status, we, for some reason, feel this. And I tell you what, it's crazy, but we look to people uh, you know, and say that they have higher status. You know, after a president gets elected into office and they're doing a good job, their approval rating is high, you'll see the bumper stickers, I voted for so-and-so. Which means like, like you're to blame for the reason the country is going good. Well, yeah, you know, out of the you know, 300 million people in America, it's you. Yes, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. This is kind of the way that we operate. This is our mindset. This is our fleshly, human nature mindset. Now, this has infiltrated into the church. Because we divide and we categorize and we separate and we segregate and we look down upon and we look up at a long time ago, there was one church. It was united. And then the east and the west split. And then later on, the Protestants, the Protestants uh, protested, and they split from the west, the, the Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church. And since then, we Protestants have been protesting everything, and we split uh, like 1,500 other times. I think there are around 1,500 denominations, uh, Protestant denominations, not to mention non-denominational, which is like just the you know, that's what we are. We're just not, not a denomination. Uh, and so there's a lot of different non-denominationals. Uh, this is kind of the way you do. We, we divide and we separate and we segregate. We also do the value thing. We have rock star pastors, right? We've got Billy Graham. We've got Francis Chan. We've got, uh, we've got, you know, just a number of different famous pastors that we want to hook our bandwagon to because for some reason, if we listen to their podcast, if, if we're, you know, with them, then, then, then we're cool. If you're, you know, part of the Acts 29 church planning network, which we are, it's cool to be a part of a church planning network these days. And it's a good thing, but it's also a cool thing. So we're cool. So congratulations. Your status has just been elevated. But what I want to ask the question is, 
does it matter that we do church like this? Does it matter that we think about it this way? Does it matter that we treat people in this manner? The answer is obviously yes. It matters. And the reason it matters is because we are the family of whom? Jesus, God, yes. We are the body of whom? Christ. We are a temple of whom? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the God of the universe. Okay, so we represent an amazing being. A mind-blowing, all-powerful being. We represent him. The way that we act, the way that we interact, reflects upon his character. So that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And so now the question becomes, is, th- is this the way that we should interact? Is this the way that we should think about things? Is this the way that we should do church? We're in the letter of 1 Corinthians, which is a, a letter all about how do we be the church? In all these different ways, how do we act like the church? How do we talk like the church? What does that look like? What does that mean? And, and today we're going we're gonna to look at this idea of divisions and, and, uh, and this idea of, of unity and what that means and what does that look like within the church. If you've uh, been with us, if you were here last week, you realize we jumped into the letter of 1 Corinthians, uh, which is a letter written to the city of Corinth. Uh, Paul was writing to Corinth. Corinth was a really unique city in the Roman Empire. It didn't have a very long history. Uh, 90 years before Paul uh, had gone there, it was a town of population zero. It had been decimated by the Romans. And in 90 years, it had become a city of 700,000 people, the third largest city in the Roman Empire, perhaps the most important uh, when it came to trade routes, you know, when it came to business and merchants, uh, city in the empire. It was a very big deal. It attracted, you know, many, many tourists. It attracted lots of business, lots of outside people into this town. This was looked at a little bit as the land of opportunity. This was the place that if you were of a lower status, you had the opportunity through whatever means necessary to gain wealth so you could increase your status. And status was everything in the Roman Empire. It was everything. And so this was an opportunity for you to increase your status through wealth. And it didn't matter how you did it. It didn't matter who you cheated. Uh, Corinthians were an interesting group of people. They were very individualistic. They didn't have a long city history, so there wasn't a big city identity. They didn't have a big national identity because they were from everywhere. They weren't just from, you know, the Rome, you know, the the Italian Roman uh, Empire. They were from all over the place. They were very individualistic. They were about individual gains, individual status, individual power, and to increase my individual reputation by any means necessary through you know, you know, uh, business task- tactics or through self-promotion or through whatever means necessary. Uh, they were way into pleasure. They were all about w- what they wanted, what they desired. Uh, the word Corinthian came to mean licentious, excess. That's what it came to mean. Uh, to Corinthianize meant to have sex with prostitutes. So this was a city whose reputation was very dark. Right? There's a reason that on the slide back here, uh, we've got Paris as the, as the background. 
No, it's Las Vegas. That's okay. Someone thought it was Paris last week, but it is, it is Las Vegas. I see why, because there's, you know, there's an Eiffel Tower. That makes sense. That's you know, the Paris thing. thing. Uh, but here's the deal. The reason that we have Las Vegas there is because the way that we think of Las Vegas is the way that people would have thought of Corinth. Las Vegas is the place where you go to do whatever you want to do, whatever your heart's desire, any, anything that you've ever wanted to do that you couldn't do because people knew you or, or because you'd be looked at funny. You can go to Vegas and you can do it and it will stay there. No one will know. Shh. It doesn't stay there. Just FYI, just in case any of you were planning a trip, it doesn't actually stay there. You think it does, but it doesn't. But that's the way that people thought of, of, of Corinth. And they thought of Corinthians. It was a very corrupt, very licentious, you know, excess city, debaucherous city engaged in lots of sexual immorality. So Paul plants a church there. He leaves after about a year and a half of planning the church, uh, discipling people, raising up leaders. He leaves, and, and he hangs out in Ephesus for about three years. And while he is at Ephesus, he gets these reports through Apollos, who we learned about, this gifted teacher, through um, different uh, business people that would come through that were connected to the church, through letters. He got these reports about what was actually going on in Corinth since he had left. And it, w- it wasn't good reports. Right? It, 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 was, it was terrible, terrible. Um, the, the people, the, the church was divided. They were segregated. They were looking down upon different groups. They were, they were valuing certain gifts as more. There was lawsuits going on within the church. There were people that were tolerating sexual immorality. There were people that were celebrating sexual immorality. In fact, they were so prideful about how tolerant they had become in their church. They had rejected Paul. They didn't recognize his authority anymore. They looked down upon Paul because of the way that, that he worked for a living instead of being an itinerant traveling preacher that got paid for teaching. He didn't have a high status, so they were looking down upon Paul. Paul gets this information that the church that he has poured his heart, his soul into, has now just become utterly corrupt. And he writes this letter. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's page 618 in one of the Mosaic Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And when Paul writes this letter, the first thing that he says, and we looked at it last week, is in light of all the awfulness that is going on, in light of the ways that they had failed over and over and defamed the name of Jesus, he said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you who have rejected me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he starts this letter. He mentions Jesus ten times in the first nine verses. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's not about your desires. It's not about your urges. It's not about your rights. It's about Jesus. That's who it's all about. And the way that we fix all the things that are going wrong is we refix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then he begins to jump into the the problems, the issues. I love what Paul does. He He doesn't just stop with just an exorbitant amount of grace. I love that he starts there. But he continues on in truth. Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. He wasn't half grace and half truth. He didn't just balance grace and balance truth. He was full of grace and full of truth. And Paul follows in those footsteps. 
And he begins to unpack some of the problems. And he says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who we just saw that it's all about. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, our God, the one who paid it all for our sins. By his name, in his name, I'm appealing to you that all of you agree. How easy is that? We we don't all agree. We we could bring up a number of different subjects and really quickly see that there's not a lot of agreement in here. That that, that we could easily become very divisive, even in this room here. And Paul says, I want all of you to agree. Every single one of you to agree. It's a big deal. And that there be no divisions among you. None. Zero. No divisions. The word there means to tear, to rip. There should not be any divisions in the body of Christ. No ripping or tearing of the body of Christ. But that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. This parallels what was written in Acts chapter 2. They were all of one mind. Right? That's what the church is supposed to look like, united as one, together of the same mind and the same judgment. There are scholars that believe that this is the, um, the, the verse, the, the crucial verse that defines the theme for the entire book of 1 Corinthians. That the entire book rests on this verse, that the rest of the problems that happen all come back to unity within the body. That the unity of the body of Christ is of such importance that if we fix our eyes on Christ and are unified in him, everything else falls into place. And Paul goes on to explain the divisions that are going on right now. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people, these are probably business associates of Chloe, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, which was Peter's Aramaic name. This is Peter, the Apostle Peter. Or I follow Christ. There there, there are four different groups that Paul uh, talks about right here. We have the Paulians, right? Those that follow Paul. Those that said, okay, he planted the church. He was the one that started this. He was the one that, that got it all together. He was the one that was discipling and training and raising up leaders. We need to follow Paul. And it's not like a preference thing. It's not like, oh, I, I, I like Paul. I kind of prefer the way that he does things. But, you know, Paulus is good. And Peter, he's great. Christ, I'm all about Christ. That's not the way it is. This is a divisive division. This is, I'm of Paul and I'm not of these people. I'm not going to listen to Apollos. I'm not going to follow the authority of Peter. I am, I'm not about these people. I am only about Paul. I'm for what Paul says and the way that Paul teaches and the way that Paul does things. But the way that these guys do things, I don't know. I don't know about them. Same with Apollos. Man, this guy was a gifted communicator. He was compelling. He was passionate. He was brilliant. You know, he he was well-versed in the Hebrew scriptures. He was an itinerant, traveling Jewish uh, teacher 
that became a believer in Jesus and got paid to teach. And in Corinth, this was something of high status. They liked people that got paid to teach. And so there were people that were attracted to Apollos, that loved the way that he did things. And they were all about Apollos. I'm about Apollos and not about Paul. And Paul worked for a living while he was here. And he worked in a menial trade. I'm about this guy. This dude is legit. And then there was these people that were all for Peter. These were the old school folks, right? These were like, okay, Peter, are you kidding me? This guy walked with Jesus for three years. Part of the time he walked, it was actually on water. Peter, right? Peter was on the mountain of transfiguration. Peter saw Jesus resurrect, touched his, his hands and touched his side, right? Peter was the one that Jesus said, you are now the rock, right? He changed his name to rock, and it wasn't because he sunk in the water. Like, this, this is amazing. We're, we're all about Peter. I don't know about Paul and Apollos. I mean, these guys, you know, just came lately. I don't really know. I mean, I'm about Peter. I'm not really going to listen to the authority of these guys. I'm going to be about Peter. And then you have the last group, I am of Christ, which at first reading sounds really good. Like that would be the group that I would want to be a part of. If I'm of Jesus, you know, it's the, it's the correct answer in every church question, right? If we're of Jesus, then that's a good thing. But here what we see is this is the right answer, yes, but for the wrong reasons, the wrong motivation. This was a divisive I am of Christ. This is a I'm above you because I'm of Christ. You guys are squabbling about these different people. I'm of Christ. One day you'll kind of come up to my level. You'll get beyond this and you'll be of Christ too. This was a divisiveness using Jesus to divide. And that's what was going on here in the church. There was a lot of divisions. And here's what Paul has to say about that. In verse 13, is Christ divided? This is a rhetorical question in Greek where the obvious answer is no. Is Christ divided? No. He's not divided. He's, he's unified. He's himself, right? He's not divided. He's not torn apart. Was Paul crucified for you? No. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Absolutely not. I love the way that Paul begins with himself. He didn't start with Apollos or Peter. He didn't start with the Apollos followers. He starts with, with, with his own people, the, the people that are gravitating towards himself, which I love. And he says, hey, this is not a good thing. It's so easy for us to be the other way. Well, okay, if you're following me, you got it right. That's good. Let's work on the other people. But Paul says, no, I wasn't crucified for you. I, you weren't baptized in my name. Why are you of me? I don't get it. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And then Paul has a moment where he says, wait a second, I baptized more than that. And he says, oh, I did also baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Which is pretty amazing that Paul had baptized so many people he didn't know who he had baptized. That's how greatly God was using the ministry of Paul. That's how, how powerfully the Spirit was in Paul. Because the ministry of God was going out through him so mightily that he was like, I, I don't even remember who all I baptized. But he said here in the next verse, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize. That's, that's why I don't know. That's why I'm not keeping a record or an account. Because that wasn't the purpose of my trip. It wasn't to baptize people but to preach the gospel. And in a particular way, not with words of eloquent wisdom, 
least the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Tell you what, there is great temptation for communicators, and I'll use myself as an example, to want people to think that they're brilliant. I want you to think that I'm brilliant. I want you to think that I'm smart. I want you to think that I'm eloquent. I want you, by the way that I communicate, to say, Brady is good. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I, I strategically, intentionally didn't use eloquent wisdom so that you wouldn't think Paul was great. And instead, you would see the power of God through what I was doing. That God could use even someone who wasn't using eloquent wisdom in mighty ways for the gospel. Paul was all about Jesus. Why are there divisions among you? He continues this thought in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. Paul said, when I, man, when I planned in this church, you were baby Christians. I understood that you would act like baby Christians. That makes sense, right? Baby Christians act like baby Christians. I fed you with milk, right? We didn't get into the depths of theology when I was there, and and that's okay. But it's three and a half years later, and I'm still feeding you milk. I can't address you as spiritual people because you're infants. You're of the flesh. You're thinking, and you're acting in a fleshly way, and I can't believe that this much later You still haven't grown up in Christ. You're still divisive. He says, for while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul's saying that we are called to more than human That's the way everyone else does it. This is the way that the world operates. Anyone can divide. Anyone can segregate. Anyone can look down upon certain groups. Anyone can attach their name to a bandwagon to try and gain status in the eyes of their peers. Anyone can do that. Everyone does that. This is the way that Corinth operates. But we're not everyone We're called to be more than human. We are invited into more than human. We're empowered into more than human. This goes for us. We are empowered to be more than human. How amazing is that? And Paul says, but when you're of the flesh, when you're dividing, when you're segregating, when you're you're doing this, you're just of the flesh. You're only human, merely of the flesh. And then Paul begins to give two uh, examples, one of a field and one of a building. And he says, what then is Apollos? What what is Paul? Servants. In Rome, in in the Roman Empire, status was everything. And there were different classes that you could fall into, you know, emperor being the top one, senators being next, and, and so on and so forth. As you went down, the lowest one was servants. Paul said, these people that you are attaching your bandwagon to to gain status, we're servants. So you're not getting much status, right? We are the lowest of the low. 
We're just servants, servants through whom you have believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. We're just tools. We're a rake or a hoe or a shovel, right? We're just instruments for God to use to do what God is doing. God's the one giving the growth. God's the one making us grow. God's the one doing the work. Hey, we're just tools. We're servants. So that neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. There's no division between me and Apollos. There's no division between us and Peter. There's no division in Christ. We're one. How in the world are you dividing over people who are not divided? What's going on? We're not anything, only God who causes the growth. It's all about Jesus. Each one will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. And then he transitions into analogy number two, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Apollos built upon it. Peter built upon it. Your elders and deacons, they're building upon it, okay? People are building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Why? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's not the foundation layer. It's not the builders. It's the foundation that is important. Jesus is not the one who plants. It's not the one who waters. It's the one who causes the growth to happen. It's the one who actually has power, God. It's the one who actually has status, God. It's the one who actually has a name above every other name, that his name every knee bows in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the only name that matters. That's the only person that has status. That's the only person that, that is worthy of worship, worthy of attaching our bandwagon to. We in Christ should be united together as a body, as, as a family. And here's what God says about this. Here's what, what Paul communicates to us about God's heart. In verse 16, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? Where does God's spirit dwell? Right here, among his church. It matters the way that we act. It matters the way that we do church because we represent God. And he says this, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. What are these divisions? They're schisms. They're, they're tearing. They're ripping apart the body of Christ. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. This is a big deal, the way that we act towards the church the way that we do church together. It matters. And he says, you are that temple. We are that temple, the temple of God. We should be unified together. Paul closes out his thought in verse 21. So let no one boast in men, right? In, in mere men, in mere humans, servants, tools. Don't boast in that. He says, for all things are yours. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. 
See, when you're only about Paul, all you get is what Paul has to offer. You know, what, what, what God has gifted Paul with. When you're only about Apollos, all you get is what pa- Apollos has to offer. When you're only about Peter, all you have is what God has to offer through Peter. But when you are of Christ, united in Christ, not divisive of Christ, but united in Christ, it's all yours. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, it's all yours. Everything that they have to offer, everything that God has empowered them to do and gifted them to do is at your disposal when you are united in Christ. Why? Because you're amazing? Because because you're brilliant? Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. The reason that everything is ours at our disposal is because we now belong to Jesus. Because Jesus paid it all with his blood, with his death on the cross. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. We are his. So we must be united in Christ. Paul begins this this section by saying, I appeal to you by the name of Jesus Christ. And I think the reason he does this is because of John chapter 17. John chapter 17, page 587, if you want to turn there. Jesus is praying a prayer, and he begins praying for his disciples. And in verse 20, he transitions. It says, I do not ask for these only. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. I'm praying not just for these, and he's talking about his disciples, the, the, the ones that were with him right then. He said, I'm not just praying for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is that? Us. We have a recorded prayer that Jesus prayed for you and I. Jesus prayed for you and I. And we have it right here. He's praying for us. And what does he pray? Of all the things that Jesus could pray. I mean, there are loads of things that need to go on, you know, for our sanctification, that we would look like Jesus, uh, that, that we would be effective ministers of the gospel. I mean, there's so many things that Jesus could be praying for. But he says, as he prays, the recorded, the, the recorded prayer we have for us, he says, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, as Jesus and the Father are one, one God, completely and utterly unified, that we would be one as they are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The human way, the natural way, is to divide over whatever it is, fill in the blank. It's to look at certain groups and to look down upon them. It's to look at certain groups and look uh, up upon them and want to attach your, your, your reputation with them to increase your value. It's to divide and separate and segregate. That's the way the world operates. That's merely human. But we have been invited to be more than human. We as the body can be what we cannot be in the flesh, we can be one, united, 
of the same mind and the same judgment together unified in Christ. And when we are unified in Christ, besides the fact that we are called by the one who died and paid for us to be one, right? Besides the fact that we are commanded to be one, when we are one, all things are ours. God owns everything. Here's the deal. The church is divided. It is. You and I didn't cause the, the East and the West to split back, you know, a thousand years ago. You and I didn't cause the Protestant Reformation, the Protestants to split from the Catholic Church, the, the West, the Roman Catholic Church. We didn't cause all the divisions that are going on within the Protestant denominations. But we live in this. Right? We were born into this, this, this world where there are loads of divisions in God's church, in Jesus' body. And you know what? I get why, why, why there's divisions. I get it. It makes sense to me. There are things in this book that are worth passionately discussing. Right? There are things that are worth passionately discussing. But in Christ, we can passionately discuss and disagree and still be united and one. In Christ, all things are ours. When I grew up, I didn't know much about the Catholic Church. I, I just, I wasn't. I, in fact, I didn't know much about church in general. We grew up and we were kind of in church. Uh, we loved Jesus, but you know, we didn't, we didn't you know, go faithfully and go on Wednesday nights and go to Sunday school and all those kind of things. Uh, but I really didn't know about the Catholic Church. It was just kind of a mystery to me. I had a couple friends that went and it just seemed strange to me. Uh, they, they, they did things very differently. It seems very strange. Uh, recently, my brother, uh, who is brilliant and loves Jesus, he's become Catholic. And, 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 and there were a ton of things that I thought, oh, yeah, that's just the worst. But now that he's kind of explained why they do some of the things that they do, I'm like, that's brilliant. Okay, for instance, we just sang a creed before here. I, I, I believe in the Father and the Son. Our God is three. That's, that's a creed. Right? That's from ancient Christian times. That's something that we have said, that's a good thing from the Catholic Church, and we have taken that and said, it's good, because in Christ, all things are ours. And you know what? Catholics, they can take things from the Protestant Church, that, that, and they can say, we can use that. If it's of Christ, it's ours. Right? Calvinists can look at Arminius, and they can say, whoa, they've got a great passion for the lost to share the gospel, to go evangelize. We can take that, and that can be ours. Arminius can look at Calvinists and say, they love the sovereignty and greatness and power and might of God. We can take that. All things are at our disposal when we are united in Christ. All things are ours when we are more than human in Christ, filled with the power of his Holy Spirit. And when we are united, when we are united in spite of divisions, in spite of preferences, in spite of differences, the outside world looks in and sees something that is completely countercultural and unexplainable apart from the miraculous work of the Spirit of the God of the universe. People are looking for hope. They're looking for something of substance. And when we are unified and united in Christ, it is unexplainable. 
apart from the fact that God has mightily worked in our midst and we become greatly effective for the kingdom of God. We are commanded and called to be unified. We are empowered to be unified. When we are unified, we become more than human and all is at our disposal. And when we are unified, we become a force to be reckoned with, to change the world for the glory of God, to spread his name, to spread his kingdom, to invite many people into the family of God so their eternity might be changed forever. May we be unified in Christ despite our preferences and despite our differences. So many things can divide but only one person can unify us, and that is Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and unify in him. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we must begin by confessing that we have been divisive. God, we have segregated and separated and looked down upon. Lord, we need forgiveness God, we live in a world where your church is divided. And we ask, we pray, we plead with you for a miracle that your spirit beyond our comprehension and understanding would unify your church, your body, your bride, so that we might be one in you as you and your son and the spirit are one together. God, that we might be useful and effective mightily for your kingdom, changing the world for you. God, empower us, strengthen us, guide us for your glory, for your honor and your praise. We need a miracle. So we cry out, we plead with you in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>